This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. It's amazing how well God puts together uh, worship services. Um, as you listen to this message today, you're going to think, well, he wrote this message <clears throat> to address the uh, two deaths that we had uh, here in the church this past week. Uh, he obviously is playing off of the funeral. He is He's uh, talking about uh, death um, because of what happened this past week. There's only one problem with that. This message was written two months ago. I was scheduled to speak uh, on Dece- Sunday, December 30th. And so that week, uh, last week of December, I wrote this message. And um, But I got sick. <laughs> this message, right at the end of this message, I mean, I put the final touch on the message and I was headed to the bathroom and so I I uh, I did not go to church that day I, <clears throat> I can't remember who filled in for me but <clears throat> no it's just the way God works it's just interesting this this message was written long before we knew of these two deaths this past week my question for you today is What are you going to say to your loved ones at the end of your life? In the final weeks, days, or hours of your life, what are you going to say to people? Now, for Kathy Baker, as she was sitting around talking to Rick over the last week or two, every once in a while, Kathy would look off into the the corner of the room and say, Rick, do you see all those angels? Rick's looking around, there's nothing in the room, and she says, don't you see the angels? And uh, then she would say, and, and I could see into heaven. And it's just beautiful. Just beautiful. And Rick, will, Rick would say, well, can't you explain it? What do you see? She says, no, Rick, I can't. There, there are no words. It's just beautiful. The words that we share at the end of our lives impact others in a tremendous way. The great evangelist D.L. Moody awoke from sleep shortly before he was to die, and he spoke to his son, and he said, Earth is receding, and heaven is opening up before me. If this is death, it is sweet. There's no valley here. God is calling me, and I must go. And his son said, oh, dad, you've just, you've been asleep, you've been dreaming, you're, you're, you're imagining things, you know, uh, you're going to be okay. He said, no, uh, this was not a dream. I have been within the gates. And it's glorious. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. And shortly after that, D.L. Moody passed away. The Apostle Paul said to his young protege, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. This is the end of his life. This is sort of uh, the Apostle Paul signing off. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. What a great way to sign off. And the implication is, Timothy, you need to do the same thing. You need to work for and live for that crown of righteousness. So have you given it any thought? What are you you going to say to people? 
right before you pass into eternity. Well, at the end of the day, I guess all you can really do is share what's in your heart. And so the question is, what is in your heart? What's important to you? Jesus said the things that fill your heart eventually fill your mouth and spill out into your words. One day Jesus said to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Man, that is a convicting sentence there that I underlined. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We talk about what's in here. Listen to a person's words and you can tell what's on his heart. Today, I'd like to fill your heart with the things of God. And I'd like to do that by asking two questions. First of all, where are you? Do you remember the old photographs of the game, Where's Waldo? There's a picture, you have a picture of just hundreds of people and objects. And uh, somewhere in this puzzle, you had to find Waldo. I think he had a little red hat and maybe a red and white striped uh, sweater. And your, your object, as you look through this photo of just hundreds of things, you had to try to find Waldo. Well, you know, this morning, I'm going to try to find you. I'm going to try to find you in the grand sweep of church history. From Genesis to Revelation, I'm going to try to find where you are in this whole picture. Now, I'm going to get a lot of help here from the book of Hebrews. Because the writer to the book of Hebrews tells me where we are not. Well, for one thing, he said, you're not at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is a mountain between Egypt and the Promised Land. The Old Testament Israelites were delivered out of Egypt. And for 40 years, they wandered around and they finally got into the Promised Land. One of their stopping off points along the way was this mountain called Mount Sinai. It was not a good experience. Because there at Mount Sinai, they rebelled against God. They formed or they built this golden calf and they worshipped this calf. And then God was angry at them and kind of in the process of all of that, they received the Ten Commandments. It was just not a good day. Mount Sinai was not good. Now, we did get the Ten Commandments out of this, but the whole experience was just very terrifying. But the writer to Hebrews says... Gang, you're not there. That is not where you live. You're not at a mountain where you're terrified and you're worshiping a calf and you are just being kind of uh, rebuked by God. Hebrews 12, 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. That's not you. You're not there. So as we look at the grand sweep of history, and I'm looking for you, and you're looking for me, I can tell you one thing. You are not at Mount Sinai, because that's what the Bible says. You're not uh, there to hear the trumpet blast or the voice speaking words so frightening that people just said, just, they begged God to stop talking. They were so terrified. It was that time that they received the law. Now, the laws of God are fine. 
They instruct us on how to live for the Lord. But the laws cannot save us. Your laws, your man-made laws, or the laws of the Bible are good in the sense that they tell us what we should be doing, but they give us no power to actually do it. So we cannot depend upon laws or rule-keeping or self-made regulations to save us. 2 Corinthians 3.6 says the letter, the law, kills. It not only doesn't give you life, the law will kill you. Why? Because it points out your sin. And you try harder and harder to keep the laws. And you cannot do it. So legalism will not save you. But as again, I say, you know, the writer of Hebrews says, hey, you're not there. That's not where you're at. You don't depend upon the law. You depend upon Jesus. In Romans 3.21, we read now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. And this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus. If you find yourself constantly under a spirit of condemnation and accusation, if you find yourself constantly asking yourself, well, am I doing enough? How am I doing? What do the people in the church think? You know, I've got to try a little bit harder. Boy, I really feel bad. If that's you, friends, you're at the wrong mountain. You shouldn't be there. You're, you're worshiping, worshiping at the mountain of self-righteousness. You're worshiping at the mountain of introspection. How am I doing? What do other people think? What do the people in the church think? You know, that is law. That is L-A-W, legalism. That's law. It's Mount Me. The mountain called me. How am I doing, you know? And you're, you're inward focused. You're looking at yourself. And you're looking to yourself for salvation. But the writer of Hebrews has told us, no, you're not there. That's not you. Instead, you've come to Jesus. Hebrews 12.22 talks about a different mountain. But you have come to Mount Zion. That's where Jerusalem is. To the heavenly Jerusalem, in fact, to the city of the living God. So we're getting a little bit closer to finding out where you are today. You're not at Sinai. You're a little bit more closer to Mount Zion. And technically, it's not even that you're at Mount Zion. You're actually in Jerusalem. But technically, you're not even really in Jerusalem because it is the heavenly Jerusalem where we live. The new heavens and the new earth that Darren talked about earlier. So, we have... This story is really about two mountains. Sinai, um, Sinai and Zion. It's about two cities, the earthly Jerusalem and the heavenly Jerusalem. And we are in the latter, the heavenly Jerusalem. We're with Jesus. We have been saved. So as believers, we're not uh, in the earthly city of Jerusalem, which represents what? More law. It represents religion, temples, sacrifices, festivals, holidays, rituals, man-made rules. It's churchy stuff. It's religious stuff. But the writer says, you know, technically you're not even in Jerusalem. You're in the heavenly Jerusalem. We have come to Jesus. And there's actually another comparison here between altars. <laughs> uh, two mountains, two cities, two altars. 
Because inside the temple in Jerusalem, there was an altar. And, of course, they would sacrifice animals there, and um, they would burn up the animals, and then the priest would eat the meat. Well, that's not our altar. We've We've got a different altar. We don't worship in a temple in Jerusalem on an altar. Hebrews 13.10 We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The priests who are offering sacrifices do not eat at the altar that we eat at. That's not our altar. So it turns out we've got two mountains, two cities, and two altars. And we have a much better altar than the altar that the priests eat at. Others have no right to eat where we do. So, where are we? Where is this altar? Well, it's not in Jerusalem. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us you need to get out of town. You need to get out of Dodge. You need to get out of Jerusalem And guess who you're going to follow? Hebrews 13, 13. Let let us go then to him, to Jesus, outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here in this earthly Jerusalem, we do not have an enduring city. Imagine yourself in Jerusalem on that first Good Friday. We're starting to kind of move toward Good Friday right now. So you're following Jesus through the streets. He's on the way to the cross. The streets are long and they're winding and the crowds are there and they're just yelling and screaming and some of them are for Jesus and some of them are against Jesus and everything is confused. Everything looks hopeless. Your Lord and Savior has already been beaten to within an inch of his life. His body is beaten, broken, and bruised. He can barely walk. And the Romans are now leading him outside of town. They've come to a gate. It's a little bit before 9 o'clock in the morning. And you're kind of following along, watching all of this. The question is, are you going to keep going? Are you, going to keep, are you really going to follow Jesus all the way? The writer of Hebrews says, let us go to him outside the camp. Jesus said, if any man's going to come after me, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Do you realize what he's asking you to do? Well, that is a, that's a hard command. Because so you've got to put yourself back there at Good Friday. You've got to see yourself in the streets of Jerusalem. And you've got to see Jesus suddenly whip around and look at you and say, Hey, are you following me? Pick up your cross. Let's go. He is inviting you to come and die. Are you with me or not? Die to yourself. Die to your sin. Die to the world. Die to your selfishness. He's saying, I'm going to the cross and you're going with me. 
Well, so in a sense, we could say that we have finally come to where we really are today. We're at the cross. We live, in a sense, at the foot of the cross. And this is our altar. This is where our Savior was sacrificed. This is where our sins were atoned for. It's not in a temple. It's not uh, an animal. It is Jesus. Jesus is our sacrifice, and He died for our sins. And by putting faith and trust in Him, we are saved. This is our altar. This is where we have our bread of life. What is the bread of life? Jesus. So we have come to an altar. But in a sense, we've actually kind of gone a little bit further because the, the, the cross now today is empty. So we're kind of a little bit further down the road in salvation history and we're at the tomb. And we look inside the tomb and we realize, no, wait a minute. I'm really not even at the tomb because I look inside and there's nothing there. It's empty. Jesus has been raised. You see, your destiny is not a tomb Your destiny is not a grave. Your destiny is in the sky with Jesus. So we've kind of moved beyond the cross. We've moved beyond the tomb. And we're with Jesus. We're united with Him. That's who we are and that's where we are. I would like to read to you one of the more beautiful passages in in the whole Bible. And it tells you exactly where you are. All right? And I... I did not put this up on the screen because I don't want you to look at a screen. I want you to listen to what I have to say here. Uh, This is just a beautiful passage out of Hebrews 12. I've been asking and asking and asking, where are we? Well, the writer of Hebrews says, all right, here it is. Here's the the punchline. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. I think of Kathy here. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You have come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God the judge of all men and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, you have come to Jesus. That's where you are. You're united to Him. And at the end of the day, that's something you can share with people. That's something that you can talk to people about. Not your great life or your success or your honors or all of the great work you've done for God in the church. People can't feed on that. They need Jesus. They want to see heaven. They want to hear about Jesus. And so at the end of your life, I would just implore you to talk about the Lord. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What's in your heart is what you're going to talk about in your last hour. I'd like to look at a second question. Who are you? Psalm 139:13. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. All the days ordained for me uh, were written in your book before one of them came to be. This talks about our identity, who we are. And Darren, 
I think it was earlier, talking about our identity. Your identity is linked to who God made you to be. Your identity as a person is not formed in the arena of modern psychological jargon. Your identity is not bound up with your personality, your talents, your gifts, or your accomplishments. Your identity is not primarily as that of a parent, a child, a friend, or an employee. Your identity is not about your hobbies, interests, or little quirks. You're not defined by your past, your failures, or your sins. You're not defined by cancer. You're not defined by a disease. You're not defined by your weaknesses, your failures, or your sins. You're not defined by the sum total of your strengths, accomplishments, or righteous deeds. Who you are is defined by God. God tells you who you are. And he looked at Simon Peter one day and says, you know, Simon, he says, you're going to be Peter. You're going to be the rock. And so that is a wonderful picture of how Jesus tells us who we are. And that's why we need to study the Bible to find out our identity. We need to let God define who we are. He has known you forever. He has known you and loved you from before time began. The Bible says this about us in 2 Timothy 1.8. God saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us before the beginning of time. You have always been in God's plan. You did not one day suddenly pop into God's mind. God is eternal. God is all-knowing, and he has always known you. Your identity is rooted in and defined by God's plan for your life. God knew the exact second you would be born. God knows the exact second that you will pass into eternity. He knows everything about you and he has a plan for your life. You have life because God has given you life. He has created you for himself. You have no other reason to be here other than to serve him and enjoy him. You're not merely a businessman, a father, or a church worker. You're not merely a mother, a teacher, or a good friend. You are God's child. You're his creation. You are a believer. You're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. That's the real you. There is no real you apart from what God says you are. It's not like you're over here and God is over here and you come to him one day and give him your life. No, God gave you life. You don't give him your life. He gave you life, physical life. He's given you spiritual life. Everything you have is from him. It's all a gift of God. And he defines who you are. You are important not because of what you accomplish. You are important because Jesus died for you. Because Jesus calls you. You're not important because the world says you're important. You're not important because of your money or your success. You are important because you are a child of God. St. Augustine said that you have created us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. So God defines who we are. At the end of the day, we need to fill our hearts with God, not ourselves. I think we reflect upon and we study ourselves too much. 
we're kind of a little too self-absorbed and we're more, we're just, we're just kind of getting back to Sinai and we're kind of looking at ourselves and we're interested in ourselves and we talk about ourselves and we feed on ourselves and we share it. You know what? You are not that interesting. If at the end of the lo- your life all you can talk about is yourself, you know, you're going to be kind of boring. People don't want to know about you. They want to know about Jesus. That's what's going to save them. Study Jesus, especially at this time of the year. We need to focus on the Lord as we move closer and closer to the Easter season. We need to think about his eternality, that he has always lived. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus has always lived, and he will always live in the future. Think about his creation. Think about the fact that, that he made you and formed you and created you and he was knitting you together in your mother's womb. Look at the stars and look at the heavens. All of this are the handiwork of his working. Uh, think about you know, creation. Think about his humility. He left his throne of grace with all of his glory and splendor and majesty and he became a baby in a manger. Think of that humility. Think about his patience with people who despised him and mocked him and crucified him. Think about his patience with you. Think about the fact that the book of Isaiah knows, tells us that he knows about your suffering. In fact, Jesus himself is called a man of sorrows. Study that. Think about that. From beginning to end, his whole life is encapsulated in that phrase, a man of sorrows. He understands you because he's been there. From first to last, his whole life was one, a life of sorrow. He was mocked. He was made fun of. He was spit on. He was laughed at. He was beaten to within an inch of his life. His head was slammed with a crown of thorns. The book of Isaiah tells us he was so badly beaten before he was even crucified that as he walked through the streets of Jerusalem, you could not even recognize who the man was. That is suffering. And the thing is, he did it for you. He was forced to carry his own cross through the streets. He was ridiculed by ignorant, wretched people. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who knows the the end from the beginning. This is the Alpha and the Omega. This is a man who hung on the cross for six hours, being ridiculed, having more derision thrown his way, and being mocked even more. And he did it all for you. And now you are one with him. You are united to him. Just think of how he has worked in your life. He has convicted you of your sin and he has given you faith to believe. Think of what you were and think of what you are now. Remember how he has rescued you from torment, suffering, punishment, and hell. He has rescued you from hell. He is good. He is your life. Remember that you are one with Him. Remember that He wants you to spend all eternity with Him in glory. Think of the trillions and trillions of years you will live with Him and the reward and the blessing of living in His presence forever and ever. That's something you can share on your deathbed. Talk about Jesus. Fill your heart with Him. 
When the people came into the promised land in the Old Testament, after being in the wilderness for 40 years, each family was finally given a plot of land. And the Bible records one man's reaction to be given, to being given his land. You know, each family gets a little plot of land as they finally get into the promised land, you know, and uh, this man, you know, he, the elders in Israel gave this man some land and this is what he said. This is what he said when he received his plot of land there uh, in the promised land. Psalm 16, 6. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now, if a man could be that excited about rivers and streams and mountains and waterfalls, how much more should we be excited about Jesus? We have it so much better than those people in the promised land. We have so much more than green pastures and beautiful pine-filled mountains. We have so much more than beautiful streams and forests, lovely meadows. We have Jesus. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Don't wander off. Stay in the land. Stay in Jesus. Abide in Christ. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I would say, apart from Jesus, you have nothing. You are nothing. You were created for him, and you're going to be with him forever and ever and ever. And at the end of the day, that's the kind of conversation you need to have with the people around you. The boundary lines have fallen for me as a Christian in pleasant places. Surely, surely I have a delightful inheritance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day that we can think about Jesus. And now we come to celebrate new life in him. We come to celebrate in baptism people who are identified with Jesus on the cross buried and brought back to life, new life. We love you, Lord, and we just thank you for this time and commit the rest of this service to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Joe. Thank you, Dennis. That was amazing truth. Thank you for sharing with us. The Apostle John wrote these words in 3 John. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Dick, doesn't that do something for you whenever they're children that decide they're going to follow Jesus? And in this service this morning, we have a couple of my favorite girlfriends, um, just sweethearts, and um, they're pastor's kids, so they're a little bit ornery. Um, I mean, just look at their dads, and so you can understand that. But 
They are amazing girls. I've watched them uh, one since birth and the other one for a couple of years now. They are girls that love the Lord. They want to serve Jesus. And it is such a privilege to be able to take them through the waters of baptism this morning. Without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, proceed with the presentation of the baptismal candidates. Tessie and I are truly honored and excited to stand here this morning and to tell you that Sadie Joy Watkins is ready to publicly proclaim her faith in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Two Bible verses that Sadie learned in preschool as a young four-year-old child have truly helped her understand her need for a Savior. Romans 3.23, the very first memory verse that they learn, says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Acts 16.31, To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Two years ago, when Sadie was in this preschool class with the Miss Julie Jones, um, she came home from school one day and just said, Mom, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. And I said, Okay, well, we can do it right now. And so she prayed and she admitted that she's a sinner and that she believed that Jesus is the Christ and that, um, that he is her Savior. And um, it's been amazing over the last couple years to see her faith grow and just blossom and how easy it has come to her. And um, lately it's been really neat to hear her um, heart just overflowing with praises. Um, she's singing all the time. Sadie knows that she needs a Savior she understands that sin separates us from God. And I know that she has asked Jesus to forgive her, to come and live in her heart. And she truly wants to follow Jesus and live for him. Because of this, today we present Sadie Joy Watkins as a qualified candidate for baptism. <laughs> When my daughter, Laura, decided to give her heart to Jesus, she was pretty young, and I wondered if she truly understood what she was doing. Um, I was really excited about it, but I, you know, we prayed together, and I thought, I'll just watch and see if this has fruit, 
and know whether or not it's real. And it has given me so much joy to see that fruit in her life. Um, Last month, she came to me and she said that she'd come up with a list of ways to worship God. Um, She said to pray, to read your Bible, and to sing. And I asked her if she could think of any more, and I started writing them down. And here's what she came up with. Pray, read your Bible, sing, go to church, be amazed at what he has done, show love to others because we love Jesus and show kindness, trust in him, forgive people like Jesus did, being brave, especially to tell people about Jesus. Don't be sad about not being good at stuff, but believe that God is with you and can help you, or if something sad happens. Loving Jesus and getting baptized. And so I'm so excited for today that she is following through with this way to worship God. And I'm so excited to see Lara Pirtle, my daughter, get baptized today. Praise God. Thank you so much. You know, uh, miracles of healing are incredible, but miracles of salvation are better because that's eternal. Laura, Sadie, would you want to come up here and join me um, before we go back there? Come come on up here. Um, Sadie, you want to come over here? Laura. Ladies and gentlemen, my two girlfriends. (laughs) Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for these two sweet girls. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for their new commitment to follow you. Thank you for their parents, their families. Lord, I pray for their parents, their homes, that the homes would be godly homes, that they would put Jesus first. And I pray as Sadie and Laura grow in grace. Lord, as uh, the trials come, the problems come, that they would continually look to you. Would you protect them emotionally? Lord, would you protect them physically, but most of all, protect them spiritually? Help them to always have that desire to serve Jesus. And so, Father, I just pray that this would be uh, kind of a stake that they're driving, that they could come back to time and time again whenever the devil uh, tempts them, that they would come back to today, this day that they are making a public declaration of their faith. Bless this time together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you ready to get baptized? Laura, you ready? Okay, let's go prepare for baptism.
You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.